Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. For another episode of Believe in Kentucky, we got AG Aaron Gershaw from the Cats Pose, the QB1 Jalen Whitlow coming back. Both of y'all been vacationing and visiting family. How's everything been? Pretty good, man. You know, just uh, staying busy a little bit, but you know, can't complain, man. Been uh, took a little trip, you know, and uh, you know, got away for a few days, and you know. Got back and got back to work. Got some, got some stuff going right now that's keeping me busy, but it's all good. That's always good. Always good. Yeah. Ag back. In yeah, the back bluegrass. in back in the bluegrass, and uh, it's good to be back for a little bit. I've, I feel like it's good. I've, I've got a lot more going just trip wise this uh, this off season than I did last year. You know, after basketball season, so feel a little busier. Feel like it's moving a little quicker, moving closer to football season, which is you know I'm I'm ready to get going in August right now but uh it's good to it's good to have some family time good to move around a little bit and uh enjoy a little bit absolutely and in between time we well we we had the portal poppins so we got to talk a little football right quick with this portal oh yeah and just let the listeners know we got we got a another MLB a former MLB player coming up here in a few minutes a former cat though as well yep played for several teams, most notably Aaron's Yankees, where he ripped the heart out of my Braves in the World Series. We're talking about Jim Layritz. He hit a, a monster home run off of Mark Wohlers when the Braves had a three-run lead and were up 2-1 to one in the series, and it, it changed the whole series, and the Yankees went on to win. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Jim, Jim Layritz, a good dude, hit a lot of dramatic clutch home runs in his career. But he uh, played for Coach Keith Madison at UK before going on to the big. So talk a little baseball with him. But in the meantime, this this portal has been popping. Oh. Got some additions. For, gotta get y'all's thoughts. Dive right into the to the football right now with these new additions to the roster for the coming season. Yeah, I mean, so now we're at the eighty-five or eighty-four scholarship, whatever the number is threshold so unless there is a graduate transfer or someone hits the portal and then you know has to go through the whole process of trying to get a waiver uh this will be it for Kentucky and I (laughs) I can't think of an area they missed guys I mean obviously the offensive line they spent uh a lot of a lot of equity if you will you know four bodies and one in Marcus Cox back in the winter who we all know is going to start at left tackle I think Portland Ford is probably going to start at right tackle unless Jeremy Flax can have a you know a big summer and beat him out uh and then you got Brent Chris Chrisman out of Ohio State who's got uh three years of eligibility and is probably going to be a guy that you could develop this year and then Tanner Bowles who has one year of eligibility is going to be kind of the swing guard swing tackle you know fill in as needed so they hit everything on the offensive line uh they got an experienced kicker uh this week that's big add another guy to the running back room which 
I think we'll talk about him in a little bit, but really, really good upside there. He was off to such a good start before he got hurt last year. Uh, I do wonder what it's going to mean for a guy like Juton McLean, but we'll dig into that later. Um, and then the DB at a living stone this week and the DBs they added back in the winter with Hardaway and Dunn. So you got to feel really, really good. And obviously not even mentioning the biggest fish of them all being Devin Larry and Ray Davis. So um, I think they kicked ass. I really do, especially, you know, with what was out there after the spring to still go out and get six scholarship bodies. Um, I think at least two that, I mean, the kicker for sure, who's going to have a big impact, uh, just the nature of that position. And then maybe another starting offensive lineman. So um, very, very impressed with Mark Stoops, Vince Mayer and this coaching staff has done. Yeah. I mean, everything you said, man, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, they, they took advantage of, and we, we know this, but we talked about this. They took advantage of the, the OC hire, the quarterback yeah. acquisition, the running back acquisition is attractive to other positions. So um, they were able to take advantage of that, beef up a little bit up front. Uh, and we talked about the running back thing. And yes, yes, that's going to be um, – Anytime you can bring in a guy that your starter has played with in the past, mm. that automatically tells you that, you know, they're looking for this guy to get a significant amount of reps. And he's, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, at the end of the day, they got to compete for it. But, you know, the way it looks, you know, it looks like, uh, you know, they, they're counting on him being number two. Um, yeah, I think so, too. So, yep. you know, so we'll see. You know, they got to compete for it. But I agree with you, man. They've been recruiting. Um like no other, like they don't, you know, they don't sleep literally sometimes uh, and, and, and that, but it is paying off when it comes to the acquisition of talent um, because uh, as we know in this conference, you need that and you need depth, right? That's the biggest thing. A lot of people feel comfortable with their starting 11, their first 11 that they run out there. A lot of people feel confident and comfortable with those guys. But as we know, uh, football, whether you have short-term or long, long-term injuries, it's inevitable. You got to be able to bounce guys around, flip and bounce and move around and and, and shift gears sometimes. Um, so I'm sure they feel like now that they have enough depth and enough talent on the roster to where if a guy go down, the you know, they, they don't feel that much worse about their team. You know, you get some guys, you know, back in the previous years of Kentucky football, one of the starters go down and it's like, you know, that's that's a huge, huge hit. It's always a big hit, but you know, now I feel like they feel they feel a little bit more confident, you know, in in, in their reserve roster. So um, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm sure this this won't be the last time we talk about transfer portal. Probably even before, you know, we get into the season, you know, with, with guys wanting to leave and do whatever they want to do. Uh so it's an ever evolving, ever changing um thing when it comes to this transfer portal so we'll uh we'll continue to monitor and see what happens got two rainers in the same week <laughs> that's I mean, true devarian rainer the linebacker alex rainer the kicker georgia southern statesboro georgia i've been through there down mm -hmm. in that part of georgia a little hopping a jump from savannah uh been on their campus my niece went and went to her graduation there and stuff like that haven't been to a game hey, or anything it's but, like a uh, 
It's like a two for one trade with that too. You get the kicker and we said, or not we, but Kentucky sent them uh Bo Allen, I guess, technically, I guess by virtue of Tarleton state and then yeah. uh, Ke Keaton Upshaw too. Yeah, that's right. In a roundabout way. Exactly. Right. That's right. So, yeah. Uh, and you know, the smiley shark at running back. I didn't, I didn't was that's some name, you know, I don't know if that was, we all knew O-line, you know, new DB, new linebacker. Did we see another running back addition on the horizon or I don't I mean you can never you can never have enough of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, you cuz I mean if you look at them I mean they're going to play most people play five running backs in a year. You know, you're going to play four and four of them are going to play meaningful snaps. Sometimes that fifth one is going to play, you know, cuz you may have a guy being banged up then you're going into the game, you know three running backs are going to play in a football game. So that's already at four. So, you you know, you got to have depth. That's one of those positions where you got to have quality depth, yep. especially in this conference. If you can't run the ball in this conference, then you might as well leave. Uh, it's just, you know, that's just what it is. Yeah, and they got, you know, they saw what kind of life was with without Chris Rodriguez for four weeks, and uh, it didn't go very well. And I know the offensive line, you know, was a big part of that. It wasn't just – the running backs, but you know, Lavelle Wright struggled. Uh, Juton McLean struggled. Um, Kavase Smoke was probably the best of that group, but he's you know, he's in Boulder now, so uh, they lost him. Uh, they had to go replace him, and I think that's exactly what uh, this kid from NC State, uh, I, I'm gonna go Sumo Karen Jobby on the last name. I hope I got that right, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, 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 add that to the list of last names I'll always have to copy and paste when I write about. He's on the, I still can't spell Sheboy. That's on the list, too. So um, add him to the list. But, yeah, and I think, you know, I go back to that quote that Mark Stoops had in December when he was talking about his approach to the portal, that he's always trying to recruit over guys. He's always trying to take guys who are going to take your job. And I think kind of this sent a message to the the guys in spring ball. I think – the ones I'm looking at, like Juton McLean, man, you're supposed to be the uh, the kind of the most versatile back, probably the best pass catching back. This NC State kid is a great pass catcher. I think that's, you know, outside of his ability, you know, after contact, he averaged five and a half yards per carry. Um, he did a lot of good things in the passing game. So I kind of look at this as maybe, you know, recruiting over Juton McLean. Obviously, at kicker with Austin Rayner, uh, recruiting over Chance Poor, uh, this linebacker. Uh, who I think is going to play a lot. Obviously, we saw you need three middle linebackers, maybe four. Um, I think this kid's going to play over Martez Thrower, Luke Fulton, any of the other guys on the inside. So, um, yeah, I think he's taken. He's done exactly what he said he was going to do, and and I, I think even more. I mean, twelve transfers total is a that's a hell of a haul. Yeah, you're right. You're right, and and like y'all already alluded to, will. With the addition of the Smiley Shark, I haven't, I, I'm, I ain't bold enough to, to tackle it yet. Maybe man. he'll go Did by, you? maybe he'll go by DSK. That would help too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, the, maybe the Smiley Shark. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we saw, we saw the addition of Cortland Ford, and then you had a couple mm -hmm. ripple effects where you had a couple guys transfer out, and then you had to go and refortify the Big Blue Wall, like y'all already touched on, bringing him in if. You know, McLean and those guys, because, yeah, you know, Jefferson's back. Ray Davis mm -hmm. is already here. Are we going to have a – and if it is, it is. It's, it's part of the game now. But will we have a ripple effect to where 
a couple guys that are already in the room maybe decide to say, hey, this is a little too crowded. Yeah. Or, or, like you say, sometimes if you just wait. You just wait and, it out. And your next yeah. thing you know, an opportunity that you didn't think was there is staring you dead in the face. Right. And Ray Davis only has one year. So he's not a guy who's a long-term answer. He's This is his last year coming up. Uh, uh, Sumo has one more year after this. So he's got two total and then, you know, a lot of the other guys in that room have, have years and don't really have to worry about their clock. So maybe that'll help. And also, I think I think I know for sure right now that if you enter the portal as an undergrad, you cannot uh, play immediately next year. You'd have to apply for a waiver. And so I don't know if that changes in August or not, because I know Kentucky's had some August transfers the last couple of years. But um as of right now, it wouldn't even make sense for Juton McLean, who's already a senior, to sit out a year. It wouldn't make sense for D. Beckwith uh, to sit out a year. So um, I think they'll probably stick with it. They may not be happy about it, and they might hit the portal as soon as the year ends. But um, unless – Ray Davis is not going to transfer. So unless um, – I think the only other graduate in that room is Ramon. Unless he hits the portal, I think, you know, the guys that are currently on this roster, including uh, the new kid, that's your running back room, 7-D. Yeah, that's you know, in my opinion, seven dudes. Think, yeah, that that that's that's a great running back room, but I think just truth is somebody's gonna you know it, it'll somebody's gonna do it. Um, but it, it looks good on paper though. I mean, it, <laughs> it looks. I mean, yeah. right now, man, D Beckwith, who's a freight train, is RB seven on this team, and then uh, Jamarian Wilcox, the kid that Stoops is called the lightning bolt, and he said this year that. He's going to try to kind of cut down on his praise. Uh, he's RB six. That's that's the room right now, man. Yeah, that's that's a uh, it's a great running back room. But you know, like I said, we know that somebody's going to transfer. But at the end of the day, you know, there's still a deep enough. Even if two guys leave, the running back room, in my opinion, I think is deep enough to yeah um, to get through a season with five quality guys. You know what I'm saying? I think your first three are extremely quality. From what I've seen, uh, I watched Ray Davis last year. I got to go back and watch the NC State kid in depth. Um, and, you know, uh, the other guys, Jatan McClain, obviously seen him. Uh, you know, D. Beck, we've seen some of him. So they have they have quality depth. They have big bodies. They have guys who can move on the perimeter that you want to put in space. So I think uh, if I had to guess, they're pretty, they're sleeping pretty well, uh, in, in, you know, the co- in the coaching staff when it comes to the running back room. Uh, so and tight end room, you know, and you're gonna get those guys back from injury, but mm-hmm. you know they're sleeping pretty well with those guys. So we'll see what happens, man. Um, like I said, you know, it's it's inevitable in my opinion, but it looks extremely extremely good on paper. I mean, that's a strength on the team is running back right now. Yeah, and hey, we had uh, he was out a couple episodes, Jalen. So let's get your thoughts before Jim Lavers comes on about. You know, the draft before the last episode you were on, I think the day before the draft, and you were saying Will Levski get drafted anywhere. <laughs> you said he could be he could be picked fourth or he could go anywhere. Yeah. And that's kind of how it played that's out. What so happened. Your thoughts yeah, on I, how that went down. Yeah, I just thought that <clears throat> I thought that Levis, Hooker, uh, and a little bit of Richardson were like coin tosses. Uh because you know, everybody sees what he can do physically. Um, but it's hard for those guys to, you know, to ignore the the last year's productivity. Um, 
and you know just quite frankly the turnovers uh from the past few years uh so you know i figured that it could be a coin flip i even thought i said he can go first or he can go wherever i really did believe that and you know so you kind of hate to see you know especially from a stand a, a football standpoint from kentucky football i should say that standpoint you, you you wish you had a first round draft pick that you could say hey look this is we had a first round draft pick at quarterback but second round who cares i mean you know he he like i said he's going to a a team that's probably going to need him pretty early uh if he does well in camp so he'll have a chance to play uh, you know he's not going to a completely completely like just an awful team he's going somewhere where they're not that great but they're not that bad either so um it could go either way so you know and i might add his offense is conducive to kind of what he did here or what he did at Kentucky you know the the wide zone style play action naked boots um you know that style of play 12 personnel, 21 personnel, you know, that style of play is, I'm sure the terminology is probably similar too, if I had to guess. Because um, at, at the end of the day, it's a copycat league. So yeah, I think he'll be fine. I knew Bryce Young was going one. You know, I would have been completely shocked if he didn't. Uh, I just thought he was the best player, best quarterback in the draft, best player in the draft, in my opinion. Uh, so, you know, knew that would happen. You know, a lot of people are really, you know, uh, I don't really understand the Anthony Richardson thing. Uh, <laughs> I see it from a standpoint of upside, but at the end of the day, um, if you're going to judge guys off film, I mean, if that's going to be the case, then I got to draft a guy who's been proven to produce on the college level and, you know, not taking nothing away from him because I think he's probably the most gifted quarterback in the draft. Uh, But, you know, I didn't, we didn't really see that. Now part of it, he's at Florida. And by the way, Florida's going to be absolutely hot garbage this year. Hot um, garbage. And, you know, so I think they may be the worst team in the SEC this year. Uh, you know, if anybody's worse, it's probably going to be Vanderbilt or Missouri. But to be honest, which is hard for me to see Florida beating Missouri this year. Uh, so he he was on a team that wasn't very good. They were okay at times. They beat Utah and everybody thought they were, you know. They killed but, South Carolina. That was like- yeah. And so I, I just don't think they were very consistent in what they're doing. Mm-mm. Offensive structure wasn't very consistent. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, my thoughts on the draft were it kind of went almost how, you know, I kind of thought it would uh, with, with the quarterback thing. So we'll see how that goes. It's also good to see uh, Carrington Valentine get picked. It was good to mm-hmm. see, you know, um, you running back get picked. You know that that was always good. Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was good. You know, good. Not not the team we wanted, Vinny and I, but that's yeah. all right. Yeah, like we yeah, talked about, not. like we talked about, the enemy wanted him. And yeah, I mean that's good for him, but and you're going to a situation like that with an OC first year there, and he's you know lobbying and and telling Coach Rivera to get get you so. Good for him. It's you know the Cowboys and Giants gonna have to deal with that uh, for a couple of years, just like the Eagles who who are you know stacking things up. But good to see C. Rod go to a place where hopefully he can fit in and and hit the ground running for for his personal standpoint. You know. Yeah, I think I think he'll be uh, he get in the right situation. I think he'll 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 be nice and steady wherever he goes. So or well, obviously where he is and whoever, wherever he goes after that, because obviously that's inevitable that he's going to move around. 
Uh, so yeah. I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be nice and steady there, man. He, I think he's more of an NFL back than a college back, in my opinion. Uh, mm. um, you know, yeah. by his play style, his, you know, his size. Uh, so we'll see. You know, it all depends on the situation you go in, the offensive scheme, players you got around you. But I think it'll be fine. Tomorrow, on the high school front, Cutter Bowley from right here in Lexington is going to announce where he is going to play his college ball. And, you know, Liam Cohen coming back puts Kentucky seemingly in a good position. A lot of people think he's going to be picking Kentucky. Biggest in-state recruit since Tim Couch. I mean, so. That's what we're talking. This, this, and if, if Cohen's not back, he's not even looking at Kentucky. I mean, point, point blank, period. No. Yeah, uh, I'll be there tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. Um, it, it would be a stunner if it goes any other way or else I wouldn't <laughs> go. So, um, but yeah, I mean, look, this was a bridge. What is it? I guess five months ago now that seemed pretty broken with Scangarello from everything I heard. Like it was Tennessee, man. Like their offense was fun to watch. Uh, they had personality with Heupel, uh, obviously goalish, but he's gone now. Um, still a typo scheme at Momentum of Tennessee, man, it, it it was real. And I thought that's where it seemed like it, it was heading. But Liam Cohen had a started that relationship when he was here for the first time. And it, it was able to pick up right where it left off. And it sounds like he's going to keep him at home. And, yeah, this is huge. I mean, look, Kentucky, their quarterbacks have come from the transfers. A portal, or a portal transfers, whatever you called it before that. For a long time now. I mean, you're talking Steven Johnson was a Juco. Terry Wilson, Oregon, then Juco, then Kentucky. Uh, Obviously, Will. um, Obviously, Devin now. So, it has been portal, portal heavy for quite a while. And it'll be nice to finally get uh, a guy that you feel has the stature and has the ability to not only, you know, be worth the the scholarship at a high school, but also to – possibly be your starter i mean i think that he has starter ceiling i think he could be a starter i i I don't want to put the pressure of year one on him uh but maybe year two or pretty quick so um this would definitely be probably the biggest in-state quarter definitely the biggest in-state quarterback get since tolls probably biggest ever since couch and then as far as high school quarterbacks go i mean yeah probably uh maybe you jalen i I don't know (laughs) it's no problem No, I think I think definitely the biggest get since uh Toes or Barker. Yeah. Drew Barker. You know, uh Drew Barker was a pretty big get. Um, so you know, I'm anxious to see how it goes, man. I I saw some people online, you know, hinting at the fact that he he's thinking about elsewhere. I don't know where else. No. Uh I don't know how true that is, but I saw something, uh, you know, some some, some people tweeting that I, so I don't know. It but, would be the surprise know. of the century. Yeah. So uh so so we'll, we'll see what happens, but you know he's right, he's right up the road literally. Uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, it just makes sense. Yeah, literally a ten minute drive between LCA and uh, yeah. I mean, there's not one person. You know, Steve Wolf Wolf Long from two four seven, all the top guys at Rivals, Chad Simmons at on three. I mean, we're all pretty much on the same page here. <laughs> it's going to be Kentucky. So uh, again, it would kind of be the surprise of the century if uh, he goes elsewhere tomorrow. Had you seen any of his high school film or any of his his play, Jalen? What he looked yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, I've seen a few clips. Um, I, I mean, definitely the best player on the field. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's always a good sign because sometimes 
and this is funny and this is tricky because sometimes you get a quarterback who's really good at playing quarterback, but he's not the best player on the field when it mm-hmm. comes to a football player. Uh, you know, by the looks of it, the few clips I didn't watch him in depth, so I'm not gonna sit here and say I watched everything, but the clips that I've seen, it looks like he's he's playing like he's the best player out there. You know, that's what he's exuding. So that's always good to see on film from uh you know from Kentucky's standpoint. So, you know, uh, you know, he has the tools. I mean, obviously got the orange strength, you know, accurate with the football, uh, you know, good stature. So We'll see. It just comes down to development, you know, when, once he get on campus. Yeah, for sure. For sure. As always, y'all can get each and every episode at Believe.com. I forgot to mention at the beginning, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube, you can watch it. So you got the audio, video, whatever platform you like. And I see a blue puts these episodes up on their site, too. So we definitely appreciate them for doing that. Oh, um, are we finally getting the super conference thing? We got the ACC looking like oh it's about gosh. to just implode. I mean, teams are <laughs> Louisville, Miami. Everybody is is, is throwing up deuces. Is uh, and it seems it seems like to me this stuff gets quiet for a while, and and then it pops off again. You know the expansion, the the you know and it lays low for a while, and then you hear all this noise with all these teams trying to get out of the ACC. So. Uh, you know, we're still gradually moving towards two conferences and then, you know, Louisville and all these other teams kind of threw their hat in the ring about getting up out the ACC because they don't make no money over there. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't blame them. Uh, from a business standpoint, man, the way this thing going, a lot of schools are, their hand is being forced almost because um, they got to keep up. I mean, that's just the name of the game. So we'll see what happens, I think. Obviously, the SEC is going to be here to stay. Obviously, the Big Ten is here to stay. Um, I think what the Big 12 is doing, they kind of strengthening up. So I think uh, they may be – maybe it's a three-conference thing or, you know, maybe a power four instead of five or whatever it may be. But, I mean, you're definitely getting some movement. You know, that's yeah. that's inevitable. Um, if I'm Clemson, I'm trying to get in the SEC as bad as – you know, I'm trying to get in the SEC if I'm Clemson. Uh, I'm trying to maybe the Big Twelve if I'm Clemson, you know, jump ship is what I'm saying. Get out of you know because the ACC is the ACC is weak, man. Let's call it what it's it is. So bad, and, and it's been weak for the past I don't know how many years. I mean, you're always gonna have Clemson, and that next team can be whoever else, but they always get boat raced <laughs> uh, when they're playing uh, Clemson in the conference championship game. So we'll, we'll see. I just think. Uh, <laughs> I think I think Clemson Clemson probably make a move for sure. Yeah, and what's I mean, they obviously football's the money maker, but ACC is historically the best basketball conference. It sucks right now, man. I mean, Duke is obviously never going to not be there, but the, even by their standards, uh, the last couple of years hasn't been what they wanted. UNC was terrible last year. Uh, I don't know how great they're going to be next year. I mean, Louisville is a dumpster fire right now. They're in a complete rebuild. NC State's mid. Clemson's mid. I mean, uh, Pitt was the best. I think Pitt won the conference regular season title, if I'm not mistaken, and they were like an 11 or 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. I might be off on that uh, now that I think about it. But Oh, oh. yeah, they were. 
I don't remember. Yeah. I, I I don't even know. It whatever it was, <laughs> Virginia Tech. I, it's just a bunch of crap. That conference is a disaster. Uh, like you said, that that new ACC network and the money hasn't worked out as they wanted it. And uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of movement keeps going on. And between the SEC, Big Twelve, um, there's going to be takers. I mean, I, I'm partial to SEC anyway, but. You know, if sometimes you flip to Big Ten Network or ACC Network, and it's like they're trying. They try to have these shows about the history of the conference, the, the tradition of whatever, yeah. tobacco road, and all this, that, and the other. There'll be a Louisville game on there, football wise, or Wake Forest or somebody. It's just, it's just, it doesn't compare, it man. It just it. doesn't. <laughs> I, I mean, the, yeah. The closest thing right now is probably the Big Ten, but it's still it's still leaps and bounds in my opinion. And yeah. now now that the uh, we all know what SEC football is, we all know what SEC baseball is. SEC basketball lately uh, has been yeah. unreal, and it's going to be. I'm telling you, man, I could see eleven tier teams in the tournament next year. Like no joke, wow. I, I, I could see eleven. So absolutely, yeah. and with that, we'll we'll shift it to the to the diamond. Our guest is in the waiting room. He. Uh, Ripped my Braves hearts out. I will uh, bring him in here right now as he's connecting to the audio. Former Kentucky baseball player, uh, former MLB player, ripped my Braves hearts out many times. Ripped the Braves hearts out. Here he is, the one and only, the king, Jim Lairitz on here on the podcast. Jim, man, welcome. How you doing, sir? What's happening, man? How you doing? Can't complain, can't complain. You got Vinny Hardy, myself, uh, Aaron Gershon up here, Yankees fan. What you got the Yankee shirt on? Yep, I love it. Jalen Whitlow, all here. Right now. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Always good to catch up with some former alum. I just, I just talked to your your coach on my other podcast, Cat Stop Wednesday. Had Keith Madison on there, and I just asked him his most prominent memory of you and he just talked about the only thing he said the only thing that stands out to to me is he's a great hitter and his consistency that was coach madison's words just a few minutes ago about one jim Lairich, man. <laughs> yeah but you know i was only there for that one year but it was it was a pretty good year and then of course going out to hayes kansas and playing the collegiate league and getting signed, uh, that was that was a pretty special moment. So do you have a, a Coach Madison memory, an interaction, a situation, or something that happened in that one season when you played for him that, that stands out to you? No, I, I just remember Coach Madison when I was being re recruited from junior college uh, and on my visits to Auburn and Tennessee and all the different schools. And everybody was kind of caught up in – you know, hey, the, the life around here is great, and you know, you, you you'll get there's plenty of parties. And plenty. when I met Coach Madison, he's like, "Listen, I hope you come here because you have a great opportunity. It's a great baseball school, but we're focused on getting your grades and playing good baseball. And if you don't want to do that, don't come here." <laughs> and I really, really loved that honesty that he gave. And uh, and and that's why I wound up going to the University of Kentucky. Awesome. What was 
what were some of the most memorable moments from that year in Lexington? Just being not both on the field and just off of it uh, in the city here. Well, you know, our baseball program at that time wasn't like it is now. Um, you know, we were good, but we were the SEC was so separated. We didn't even get to play half the teams in the SEC back in those days. Um, so it was a little bit different than it is now. Um, the stadium isn't half of what it is now. I actually was there last year, met Coach Fangioni, yeah. and you know took a tour of the stadium and the field. And um, was just amazed how far that program has come. Um, but my memories more of were, uh, you know, we had a good team. Uh, you know, Randy Clark, Jay Ray, Jeff Hellman. Uh, you know, we had some pretty good names, guys that all got opportunities to, to go on to the minor leagues and play a little bit of minor league ball. Um, but we just, we just didn't have a good enough team to be able to make the playoffs. Uh, uh, that that particular year, and um, I remember that. But then I also remember, you know, being at the college and uh, being having the opportunity to go to my first love, which was the basketball games, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. being in a theater class with Kenny Sky Kenny Skywalker. Wow, uh, was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, it, it was just a good. Unfortunately, like I said, it was only one year, but it was a good one year. Absolutely. But Aaron's a Yankees fan, so let me let mm. step aside and let him, you know, ask you whatever he wants about the pinstripes, man. Oh, man, I I just I could go on for hours about it, but if just I don't even know where to start. But obviously, 96, 99, the big home runs of the World Series. Just talk about those years in the late 90s, being a part of that dynasty. And uh, one, obviously, I cherish to this day as a fan. Yeah, you know, by 96. I was like, as soon as Don Mattingly retired in 95, I became the senior most uh, tenured Yankee uh, on that ball club. And, um, you know, coming from a team in the early 90s that was losing 95, 93 games uh, and, and being one of the first minor league kids caught up in 1990, Gene Michael calls me in the office and says, hey, George is on suspension right now. I'm going to try to build with from within. And you're, you're getting the first opportunity. If you get off to a good start, you're going to open up the door for many of your other teammates. And I did. I got off to a really good start. And Kevin Moss came up next. Alan Mills. All these guys got opportunities. And we started building the Yankee franchise from within the minor leagues. You know, two years later, Bernie Williams. You know, and it just, it just took off. But by 96... I took a lot of pride in being, like I said, the senior member of that team. Uh, and, of course, after we lost like we did in 95, um, the 96 season, we came back a lot more hungry to get further than we did the year before. Well, you definitely accomplished that goal. I mean, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, well, you know, I think – I think, I think the 96, you know, one of the biggest things that I learned, the difference between 95 and 96 was the 95 walk-off home run in game two against the Seattle yep. Mariners in the Yankee Stadium. I caught all 15 innings, and Buck Showalter literally said to me, Jimmy, this is your last at bat. Make it count. I hit the walk-off. We go up two games to none, 
And you don't think it can get much better than that. We never expected to lose that series, but then we lost three straight. And that home run became a footnote. So when I hit the home run in 96, all it did was tie the game. And all I could think about running around the bases, everybody's like, you must have been floating on air. I'm like, no. All I could think about was, if we don't win, this is just another nice home run that's not going to go down in history. (laughs) And the the fact that we were able to win the game and then go on to win the World Series, that home run became the center point of the home run that started the dynasty of the late 90s, which, again, not being drafted, being a kid from Cincinnati, Ohio, from UK, to have that kind of moment in Yankee history, it was pretty special. Yeah, just to be etched in that lore for forever. I mean, anytime you go back, I'm, I can't speak for you, but I mean, I know people always got to ask you about it, especially go back to New York, people coming up to you all the time. Hey, tell me, Jim, tell me about that. Oh, man. Oh, Jim, that home run you hit. I don't, I, it never gets old, does it? It never gets old. And the one thing I always tell people, Gene Michael told me a story uh, before he passed away. He was the GM of the Yankees in 97 um, and with Bob Watson. And when the Yankees lost to the Cleveland Indians in the first round of the playoffs, Mariano Rivera gave up a home run to Sandy Alomar. And that was Mariano's first year as the closer. And, And George was so pissed off after that game. He went into Gene Michael's office and said, get rid of Joe Torre, trade Mariano Rivera, I'm done putting up with this. You know, get rid of these guys. And G. Michael says, I looked at George and I said, George, hold on a minute. Did you forget about winning last year in 96? <laughs> and, and George said, you know what? Fine, I'll give him one more year. Good and move. sure enough, that was in the 98 season. became the Yankees' most magical season of, of pretty much you know, the last you know, decade and a half. How weird was that one for you, Jim? Because you were on that San Diego team in 98 and had to play them from the other dugout. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that run that we went on with San Diego was so great just to get to the World Series. And then we come out to play the Yankees. And, you know, we had always heard that, you know, I told these guys about the lore of Yankee Stadium. And, they, you know, Tony Gwynn had never played a game in Yankee Stadium. Right. And then, of course, he hits the home run. Uh, you know, the, the crowd goes crazy for us. And unfortunately, Tino Martinez Tino. was struck out on a 2-2 slider from Mark Langston, and it's called a ball. Yep. And the next pitch, he hits the grand slam. I think everybody in our dugout said, you know what? These guys are destined to win this thing. Mm. And sure enough, they swept us in four games. Man. Oh, just – what was it like playing with Tony Gwynn? You played with you know, a lot of great players. I mean, the greatest, one of the greatest dynasties ever. But to see Tony Gwynn up close every single day, what was that like? We just talked about that with Coach Madison also. Yeah, you know, I, I tell people all the time, as, you know, again, as a kid undrafted, to get a chance to play in New York, to play for the Yankees. Uh, but the opportunity that I had in my batting cage groups and batting practice, I was able to play with the hitters of Wade Boggs, Don Mattingly, and Tony Gwynn 
during that 10 year, 11 year era that I had that the things that I learned by just watching these guys approach as hitters. Um, and they're all three completely different hitters. You know, Tony Gwynn was the most natural gifted hitter I've ever seen. Don Mattingly worked the hardest to become a great hitter. And Wade Boggs had the discipline to be, he could have been a 40 home run hitter. Instead, he wanted to hit 330 or better and hit the ball over the shortstop's head. His discipline was second to none. So I learned so many different things from all three of those hitters that made me become a better hitter also. How quickly did it take you to learn uh, how special Derek Jeter was going to be? You obviously played with him as a rookie while he was a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, his, his rookie year he had a great year. Uh, him and I had worked out in the off season together in Tampa before the 96 season. And he used to have this routine that he did where he would take 250 ground balls, 250 swings in the cage before he would do anything else before he would go out for batting practice, all this beforehand. And then I got traded away in 97 and 98. And when I came back in 99, he had already won two World Series. He had been Rookie of the Year. And I wondered, okay, is he still the same kid that I left after 96? And I showed up in Texas in June. <laughs> and I showed up, and Derek was out there in 100-degree weather, taking 250 ground balls, taking 250 swings in the cage. How about that? Yes, he did not change his routine. And I, I tell people all the time, the reason he quit playing baseball wasn't because he couldn't compete on the field anymore. It's because he couldn't do that routine to mm. get ready to play at the level he wanted to play. And that's why, after 20 years, he gave it up. Wow. Just looking at your uh, yeah. career, Jim, from 97 and 98, you know, the two back-to-back -back years, you played the most games. Uh, I hosted this podcast for the first year with, with Tony Delk, going back to the Kentucky basketball. And, you know, I talked about the NBA when years he would play all 82 games and how the body would feel. Yeah. So 97, you played 121 games, 98, 114 how did your body feel, which that's, that's almost the whole season. You missed about 40 games. How did your body feel at the end of those seasons where you played, you know, more games? Yeah, you know, 97 was my first year to get a chance to catch every day um, for, the, for the Anaheim Angels. And um, it, was, it, was, it was grueling. It was different. You know, the good thing about me was I was able to play four other positions. So – to give me a day off behind the plate, I was able to go play first. I was able to DH. I was able to, you know, it wasn't a day off, but it was a day off from catching. Mm. And I think that was the, the an advantage that I had, that I wasn't Pudge Rodriguez catching 140 games, you know, Jorge Posada. I didn't have that kind of wear and tear. I would catch 80 to 90 games, but then I would play first base in DH another 30 or 40. So, I didn't have the same wear and tear. But the beauty of playing every day was the numbers that I had already talked about that I would put up if I got a chance to play every day, <laughs> I kind of backed that up. And, um, you know, it, it was great. But then what happened was I got traded from Anaheim to Texas. And when they traded me, I was really pissed off. 
And I told them, and I didn't want to go to Texas because Pudge Rodriguez was the catcher. Right. <laughs> and they said, they said, no, he's being traded too. He won't re- he won't sign his contract. And so the re- the uh, Rangers are trading him. You're, you're you're part one of the trade to go to Texas from Anaheim, but part two is uh, we're trading uh, for Jorge Posada and Martin. Uh, uh, Marty Jansen for Pudge. Pudge is going to New York, and you're <laughs> going to come here to Texas, and you're going to mentor Posada, and let him take over in a couple of years when you're done. You know, and wow. all of a sudden, I I got traded on July 30th, and Pudge found out, and he went in the next day, and he went into the ownership and said, "I don't want to leave. Let's oh make this God. deal happen." And he ended up signing a five-year, $40 million deal the same day I was coming in. Wow. And when I found out I was – yeah, so I lost my everyday job. And then the next year I got traded to Boston. Man. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, just what is maybe the greatest maybe plays, plays that made your jaw drop? Say in the field, a hitter – when you're an, an opposing player where you just have to say, man, you got to tip your cap. That was an amazing play. And what play through your career did you see a teammate make through that? You're like, wow, that is any plays that stand out where it went against you and you're like, whoa, tip your cap. You know, what are some of those plays? Yeah. You know, to me, the, the one that I remember most, uh, I was catching for the angels. We were playing in Kansas city. And Jim Edmonds is our center yep. fielder. <laughs> and the catch that he made is one of the top five, I would think, in baseball history. Yeah. Uh, he was on a dead sprint. Yep. He was on a dead sprint with his head facing the other direction and somehow dove out flat and caught the ball over his head. It was one of the most amazing catches I have ever seen, uh, you know, in baseball, period, uh, much less – being live and watching it from behind the plate actually happened. Uh, that was probably the most amazing play I ever saw for. And just the other day on TikTok or on, I think it was Instagram, they played a, a, a rewind of a, a hit that I had that I flew out to right field with Bo Jackson playing right field. <laughs> and he threw out Mike Gallego tagging up from second base. From from basically flat-footed through a complete bullet to third base to Robin Ventura to throw out Mike Gallego. That was probably the greatest throw that I've ever seen live on a ball that I hit to yeah. right field. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So uh, your thoughts on like the the rules changes, the pitch clock, the batter's gotta be in by eight seconds. Your thoughts on all these new things they've implemented, you know, over these past few years? It, you know what? It, 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 I always say the same thing. If if I really say how I feel, then everybody's going to go, oh, he's old school. <laughs> okay. You know, so the way that I approach all these questions is like, listen, would I like it during my days? No. But because they've turned this game into such a business, because it's all about the money now, it's all about – you know, how much I, – I don't care if I hit 300. As long as I hit 30 home runs, 
and I strike out 600 times, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll get paid $12 million or $20 million, whatever. You know what? If they want to speed the game up, I only have to be here two and a half hours. I still make the same amount of money. To me, the frustrating thing that I see is that their strategy, the gamesmanship, and everything else that was part of the game of baseball that made it so fun and so pure is no longer part of the game. And with these new pitch clocks, with this, okay, you can use rosin, but you can't use too much of it. What does that mean? You know, no what does knows. that mean? Uh, and but here's my point. My point is, if these players didn't like the rules, we have a union that could change them. All right, and I don't see that happening. I don't no. see these guys going to the union and going, "Hey, we don't like this. You know, let's get a thirty second clock. You know, <laughs> let's negotiate this. Um, you know, if if they're going to tell me that." I might sweat differently than Matt Scherzer and I can still use rosin because my hand doesn't pack up like his does or Domingo Germain just happened to last night. I mean, again, these guys didn't use a foreign substance. They used rosin. How is this? How are they able to get suspended? And that's the part, like, again, if I'm Matt Scherzer and I didn't do anything wrong, and why in the hell am I accepting a 10-game suspension? Mm. You know, I, I would be fighting that tooth and nail. Um, but, again, it's it's the way things are now in the game. I don't even like the fact when I go to a game now and I'm watching a hitter, they don't even step out of the box and look at the third base coach for signals anymore. No. Yeah, There's no third – I mean, what's – you know, it's, it's crazy some of the things that – if I'm a pitcher and I can only throw over twice, and after oh twice, my gosh. the runner knows that the runner knows I'm not throwing over. Yeah, what kind of advantage is that? I mean, just, it's just things like that that just don't make sense. You know, I oh here's one for you. Let's just sell beer till the eighth inning, since <laughs> the games are going quicker, and we'll get people behind, and we'll get people behind the wheel of a car. You know, after they've only had one inning. To sober up. Ooh, I mean, as someone who went through a DUI trial, you know, I, I'm looking at these people going, why would that be something we would want to promote Ooh. in the game of baseball? Yeah. You know, I, yeah, you know, I, it, it's just to, to me, you know, to, to me, I'll, I'll be curious at the end of the year when the owners get together, when the union gets together, and the owners look at their budget and they go, wow. Concessions are down 50%. (laughs) The advertisement's down 50% because we don't have enough time for the advertisers. Mm -hmm. We're losing a lot of money here. Maybe this isn't such a great idea. You know, I I was just at a game the other day. I was just at a game the other day. And we had three little kids with me who wanted to go get a hamburger, a hot dog, some popcorn, some drinks. And they went to go do it, and they missed two innings. Yeah, I, I literally I was <laughs> at a game, I was at a game last month just for a bathroom break and missed the whole inning. It's crazy. Yeah, and exactly. my, my buddy, yeah. I guess it's on Yankees opening day, my best friend back home, he said uh, he missed two and a half innings over a beer run. I guess Garrett Cole and Logan yeah. Webb helped that, but still, like it's crazy, man. <laughs> well, and that's just it. I mean, to me, that's that's the part that. You know, is is you're taking away 
you know, why can't you just tell people, this is a baseball game. You're coming here for three hours, maybe three and a half, depending on the Red Sox, the Yankees are playing. Right. Um, but you're going to be here for three to three and a half hours, you know, enjoy yeah. the game, have fun. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when I go to a football game, you know, there's a clock in football, but when I go to a football game, I know I'm going to be there close to three hours. Yeah. And if there's overtime, I'm going to be there longer. Right. You know, and I'm not complaining about that. So yeah. to me, that's that's the part that I really don't. I don't understand why we have to make these changes to the game to adhere to a younger crowd who can't afford the tickets, who can't afford the parking, who can't afford to come to the games with a date and two other people because they don't have that kind of money. Right. You know, who are we catering to? You know, yeah. so I, I'd, I'd be curious to see after one year of this, the changes that happen next year, because there are going to be some changes. Getting back to just throw the basketball and football analogy, because you, you mentioned your love of UK and you were a good basketball player as well. You just, you chose baseball as your path, but Jim, if, if you're guarding me and you realize I can't draw with my left hand, you're going to sit on my right hand. If we're playing football, oh yeah, you realize I can't get off press man coverage. You're going to bump and run me to death. So, when there's the shift, should do you think they should outlaw the shift? Or are you screaming at guys to just hit the ball the other way when you got the whole side of that field open? Where do you come out on that? I, I was I was up here again. I'm I, I'm in New York for pretty much the whole baseball season. Yankees hired me for 40, 50 games, and I'm at every, pretty much every game. Watching Joey Gallo last year, watching Aaron Hicks again this year, watching players that I don't say bunt the ball to third base, but just learn how to hit a ball, a hard ground ball through that side of the infield that's wide open. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo didn't even have a third baseman on that side of the field. I mean, <laughs> it was that bad, you know? Uh-huh. And, you know, people always said to me, you know, just like you asked me, what do you think? I used to go up the bat going, okay, where's the biggest hole? I'm going to try to hit a ball through that hole because that's what I work on. That's what I practice. These guys, I again, there's no way I could be a hitting coach in today's game because I would be so frustrated <laughs> that my guys can't hit a ball through a wide open infield. Willie Mays said it years ago, hit it where they ain't. You know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep crazy we had paul yanish on here a few weeks ago and we asked him this so i gotta get your thoughts as well as a guy who played the game played at a high level won at a high level when you see a guy doing what shohei is doing what what do you stop and think i mean playing every day and taking the ball every fifth day when and doing both well what just what do you as a former player think when you see him doing what he's doing so I'm going to speak if, as an ownership, as someone who owns the team who's looking to pick up Otani, and I'm going to say this. He's great. It's amazing what he's doing. But this guy is not getting a 10-year, $500 million contract from me because if he's going to do this for the next five years, I want to see what it what the toll takes on his body over the next five years because you know, in all honesty, as great as it is, as great as what he's doing, 
I don't think he's going to last more than five or six years at this pace of what he's trying to do. And that's, that's my perspective. You think he would pick one at that point? I think it's great. I think it's, I, I think you have to. Yeah. I think you have to, because I think eventually, you know, he's already showing two years ago that he is, he's got some issues going on with his arm and other things. Um, you know, how is that going to look in five years with that everyday grind that he's going to put on his body? Um, I'd give him a five-year deal, but I, I'd say we can reevaluate after five years, but I'm not giving you 10 years, 500, $600 million. Interesting. Well, the last thing, Jim, I'm going to ask you, you get, you got the catching heat podcast and you got full count enterprises. So tell our listeners what, what both of those ventures are. Well, so jimlayrance.com is my website. It's, it's full count enterprises is my company. Um, but, uh, jimlayrance.com is the website. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm Instagram at, at the real Jay Lairitz. Um, and then as far as the radio show goes, uh, I was doing a podcast for a year that didn't the King of the, the catching heat podcast. We're not doing that anymore, but we are going to be starting on nine seventy AM New York. It's called the answer. It's a national radio. Uh, it's called the King and the cop. And yeah. it's a sport. It's a, it's a different type of show. It's, it's one segment sports. It's one segment on the good things that the cops are doing, you know, the, that the police are doing in our world that most people don't put on Instagram. They only put the bad things on. We're going to emphasize the good things that the police are doing in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and highlight that. And then we do a segment on politics. Or, and it's a Christian-based radio show, a station. So I'll do a part on the Purpose Driven Life, the book that I read that changed my life forever. Uh, so I'll do a kind of a spiritual uh, uh, part part of our show. And then our last segment is an entertainment segment that we bring on my partner's guy, his name, guy named Tommy Stettner. He used to be, a, he's a retired Newark cop. So that's where the king and the cop comes in. Okay. And then we bring on his wife. His wife comes on as kind of like the Robin Quivers of our show where she has an entertainment section. <laughs> she, she finishes the show very lighthearted with an entertainment thing. Uh, and it's just, it's just a fun hour that we'll be doing for 970 AM radio. Good stuff. Here in New man. York. Good stuff. I thought New Yorkers tune in yeah. and enjoy that. And UK, man. man. UK. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to watching UK in the, in the uh, SEC tournament. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're going to be yeah. back in the NCAA tournament for the first time in a while. It's uh, I'm looking forward to covering that this coming couple of weeks here. Yeah, had a great season, and, and yeah, and I'm looking yeah. forward to it too because I get my, I got my I got my baseball agent's license just recently, so I'm going to join a I just joined a firm that I'm going to start representing players. Awesome. I got them written down here. I wanted to write them down. Ryan Walshvit, yep, Drew Lafferty, and Travis Smith. All three of those guys are our targets at the University of Kentucky. So I'll be reaching out to Coach Mangione and going, hey, I need a little help here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, yeah. No, yeah. Travis, uh, of all, I mean, I like really like Walshman's game, but uh, Travis Smith, man, he throws really hard. He's still really young. 
I think he's he was hitting high nineties. Uh, he had six innings of. Uh, I think I don't think he allowed a run against South Carolina. He was really good his first SEC start and had a little bit of trouble in that. Yeah, uh, that was a serious against them. Yeah, and then had a little bit of trouble, but that Tennessee ballpark they have. I don't know if it's the same ballpark. Uh, I don't know if you played down there, but it yeah. is a little boom box. It's uh, it's easy to hit the ball out there for those kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it jumps out of that. Yeah, well, this weekend's going to be huge against Florida, so we'll see. What yes, happens. absolutely. Yep. Jim, we can't thank you enough yeah. for for taking the time to hop on here with us, man. Appreciate it. Uh, former cat, you ripped my Braves heart out, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm I'm good, man. Thank you, thank you so much, and wish you all the best with the radio show and the agent thing. And thank you again for for dropping some baseball knowledge with us this evening, sir. All right, guys, I appreciate you having me. Take care, man. All right, you too. The King Jim Lairich, Yankee legend. There you go, AG man. <laughs> Gotta love it, and. Uh... Yeah, no, it's great. Anytime we're talking to Yankees baseball and some of the guys that made uh, some great memories happen, it, it's awesome. So uh, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, that's good. Yeah, good stuff, man. And I don't know if I if I knew if he played for Kentucky when he, when he watched when I when he hit those home runs against Wolers. I don't even know. I just was so mad, you know. <laughs> And then found out he was a cat. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's cool. I guess I'll let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But good uh, stuff. Been trying to, to get him on. I think we reached out to his wife last year. That's a bit a bit. But it ended up being perfect with the season. Uh, you could thank Kentucky baseball for having a great season and making the yeah. timing, uh, timing pretty damn perfect. Had him on last year. We couldn't talk Kentucky baseball. We've no. just been talking MLB. So uh, We could have. It just wouldn't have been fun. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. Coach Men's in the squad and small ball man. He he realized that's the style of play that they needed and it's worked all year long. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's a big park or a little park because he puts pressure on the defense. And I mean that travels. So you know, hopefully they can get on a run here. It's the postseason approaches, man. I think we got in a bunch of stuff this episode, fellas. We got all the yeah. portal news, all the additions. Uh, UK Men's tennis is playing in the Elite Eight again. So last year's run to the mm. championship match wasn't a fluke because they are deep in the tournament again. So congrats to them. Okay, um, softball is in the tournament starting Friday. And, you know, so good stuff, man. We, we got all the portal news. Got Jim Labor throwing up in here. For, you got a Yankee fan like AG. You got to <laughs> talk about the 96, 98, all those championships they're winning. Young Jeter. Young Mariano, Bernie Williams. He was there for the start of all that. He oh, yeah. There. He was there when they sucked back when they, that long period. When Early they, 90s. Yankees sucked. And then yeah. he was there when they – nobody could beat them. So, yeah, they didn't suck anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, man, fellas, appreciate y'all as always. Glad to have you back, Jay. Glad you had a good time off. Glad you had man. some good travels, AG. And we'll be back next week with – Another fun episode. We'll see what happens between now and then. We'll see. Uh, yeah, we should get. Well, we should bas- get some the basketball stuff. You know, Keisha yeah. Johnson, and you know, the, he still got. You know, he talked about Kentucky using all the scouts from football, but still got some spots open on this basketball team. So we yeah, can- and we'll hit Cutter Bowley more next week, and uh, yeah. it'll be good. There, there's still going to be stuff going on. So uh, yeah, have fun covering that tomorrow, and we we hope to hear good news from young Mister Bowley. Yeah, and you know, thank Liam Cohen for 
flipping coming that back. Around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna think. Hopefully, thinking for a lot of things this fall. So uh, and yeah. tomorrow. So absolutely. Yep. So y'all be safe. For Jalen and Aaron, this is Vinny Hardy. Another episode of Believe in Kentucky, and we'll be back next week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube